you're passionate about transforming retail operations and improving performance, plus you're accountable for key change projects and programs in your company, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. Hey, hey, welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. I am Oliver Banks, your host and your guide to the world of retail transformation. Welcome to episode 85. Now, to say we've all been through a bit of an emotional roller coaster over the past few months would probably be just a little bit of an understatement. And I'm sure you're acutely aware of some of the challenges of change and transformation and how many of those challenges actually come back to mindset and psychology. And that's what we're diving into today in episode 85. I've got a very special guest, Jana Busby. Jana is a consumer and business psychologist and specializes in cognitive behavioral science, which really is all about offering insights into what's going on in the heads of people. Over the past 20 years, she's studied and practiced psychology. So she has a great awareness of what is going on inside our heads, especially when we're taking on changes. You're going to find the show notes from today's episode over at obandco.uk slash 85. So you're going to want to go and check that out. There is a model that we're going to be talking about. So if you want to get a bit of a graphical view of that model, then like I say, do head over there, obandco.uk slash 85. Now, just very quickly before we get into this conversation, I do have to remind you about Retail Transformation Live. This is the virtual event that I am putting on for you to serve you with the insight, the ideas and the inspiration to continue on with your transformational journey. It's happening on the 9th of July and it's absolutely free to register. There are going to be some awesome keynote speakers there. We've got Lots of panel sessions going on through the day. There's going to be live networking. There are a few surprises, which I've still got on my sleeves, but you'll have to wait and find out what they're going to be. And most importantly, you can go and register for your spot right now. Just head over to retailtransformation.live and you're going to get a front row seat to the best thinking in the world all about retail transformation. So do not miss out on this retailtransformation.live. Head over there now and register for your free ticket. So let's get into my conversation with Jana Busby. It's a little longer than the normal episodes, so do stick with it. There is a ton of value in there and I look forward to joining you on the other side. Here we go. So today on the Retail Transformation Show, I'm very glad to welcome one of the amazing speakers from Retail Transformation Live, the very first outing, Jana Busby. Jana, hey, how are you? Hi, Oliver. I'm very well. Thank you. Hope you're well too. Thank you very much for inviting me on your great podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. And I know there's going to be lots of golden nuggets that we're going to be exploring today. Yes, I hope so. Yes. Now, when we're thinking about change and transformation, we often come to the conclusion that it's hard. It's hard to make change. It's hard to deliver transformation, but it's really hard to make it stick as well. People are reluctant to change. And when we're thinking about retail, especially, 
the scale of it just goes off the charts. You know, we're talking about not hundreds, but thousands and maybe even millions of people that are being affected by the changes that we make. So, Jana, you're a consumer and business psychologist, so I'm really excited to dive into this with you and look at what's really going on in people's heads when we're thinking about change and transformation. I suppose the first question I'd just like to ask is, why is it so hard? Why is change hard? This is a very interesting question and very topical at the moment, I think, because of the change we are all going through and we know which change is that. COVID-19. <laughs> Definitely. I think the, the lockdown that we're all going through across the whole world is actually the biggest transformation that we'll ever see. <laughs> I totally, absolutely agree with you. And as you said, you said it right, change can be very hard for people, for some more, for some less. But that doesn't mean that when people go through change, some go uh, through that, um, you know, um, plain sailing. We do have emotional reactions to change and these are normal reactions to the real and perceived disruption that accompanies any change. So change inevitably causes pain. Um, we uh, may have fear of failure fear of facing the unknown and feeling incompetent, then the feelings of anxiety because change brings uncertainty. And people want to avoid these feelings. We are hardwired to maintain the status quo. We want to protect ourselves by staying in our comfort zones. So we are programmed to move away from pain because it doesn't feel good. It's true that change is critical for success, and yet sometimes it's difficult to implement, mm. especially if it's um, a big organizational change. And we know that right now, at the moment, retail is going to some big changes, changes that have started some time ago, but especially now, where many processes have to be aligned in order for the change to be initiated and then implemented. And we are seeing many new initiatives. So uh, as this applies um, in general to the uh, retail business, for example, store operations don't like change because they fear it will upset the equilibrium of the budget for their stores and so on and so forth. So depending on the type of change, it's also true that the risks involved with the change and we are not always ready to accept those risks, even though they may never materialize. Our mind imagines, our mind wants to forecast the future, but that's not always reliable. So the more averse we are to taking the risks, the more cautious we are and more resistant than uh, we become to change. Because we humans are not good, as I said, at predicting outcomes with certainty although we want to imagine that we are good at it. <laughs> yeah. Some are better than others, of course. I totally agree with that. But still, you know, what makes us less reliable at predictions is the fact that we all have cognitive biases. We are emotional beings. And because of our human nature, we are prone to making mistakes. And then you have people who are not so fearful of making mistakes. They learn by mistakes. And then you have perfectionists who don't really want to make any mistake, which is not realistic, basically. Mm. So it's really interesting. And some pretty extreme emotions that you mentioned there. Mm -hmm. Pain, fear, feeling incompetent, you know, that uncertainty. They're sending people all over the place. 
And I suppose it's not so much the change that is the problem. Sometimes it is if it's delivered in a bad way. Mm -hmm. But it's going to be natural whatever you do. And despite whatever the change is, it's the difficulties, the emotional difficulties that makes it hard rather than the thing itself. Mm -hmm. So is it more about how we perceive the change and the emotions we feel and I suppose the expectations we have from it as well? Is that right? Yeah, as you say, the problem isn't with the change per se, although it brings difficulties, we know that. What's really interesting here, or what's uh, really vital to mention, is that change is difficult because we focus on the negative aspects of change, Mm. thinking how we may lose instead of win and gain in the long term. It's about how your mindset is programmed. And if you start, when you think of change, if you automatically get startled by your own thoughts, which are more negative because of that uncertainty, because of the fear of unknown, then automatically your feelings will start to grow more negative. And as we said, these are feelings of anxiety, fear of failure. You don't know how able you would be to live with these changes, not just implement. And thus for any change to happen, it needs to be accepted both on the rational and emotional level. Mm. You may think of the change in a rational way, and think of all the steps and logistics and um, anything else, practical steps that you have to implement. But then you have to include that in that, your emotions, how you feel about that change. And in order to change, we need to leave the comfort zone and take steps into the unknown. We can't be in our comfort zone and make a change. Okay. And that's very important point to understand on a conscious level. Yep. And here is the big part, the big role that emotions play, because they, in a way, they color our perception of events. They influence how we make sense of the world around us, how we perceive that, and how we assess the consequences. So, for example, you might be in the same room with another person or other people, Uh, You are experiencing the same event, but then how are you going to remember that event? How are you going to process that event? Will very much depend on how you felt at that event. So, for example, let's say you felt anxious, for example, socially anxious. Mm -hmm. Then you won't enjoy that event as the next person who are usually very confident or, you know, extrovert personality, they will remember it in a um, sort of different way. So, And I suppose it includes your own personal experiences as well, not just your sort of personality types in that example about the event, you know, perhaps your classic introvert-extrovert split, mm-hmm. but also what's happened to previous events. Have you been in this situation? What's riding on it? Lots, lots of other factors going on at play in someone's head. That's completely true, yes. And the belief system you have, together with that prior experiences. So I think when people basically, when it comes to change, when they assess the consequences of that change as beneficial, then positive emotions will result. But if you start assessing the consequences, if you perceive them as potentially harmful or negative, then negative emotions may result. And again, as I said earlier, 
This brings forward our basic fear, the fear of the unknown, which then creates tension. We need extra tension in order to avoid mistakes and keep our energy levels high for maintaining the process, that process of change. So um, then some people don't really feel comfortable about it. Some people really uh, have this averse feeling towards uncertainty. Mm. So in general, when you go through change, you need to emotionally prepare to embrace the change together with uh, the underlying process and everything that's included in it. Yeah, such good points there. And I particularly liked just going back a couple of minutes when you were talking about the comfort zone. At its very essence, the comfort zone is the status quo. And thus, any change to the status quo is moving you out of that comfort zone. And I think that's a really important thing to consider. Mm -hmm. Whether you think it's better or worse for an individual, it is moving someone out of the comfort zone and, and yourself included as well, right? If it's a change being done to you, so to speak, you know, you're, you are subject to the change, then you are going out of your comfort zone and going into that discomfort zone and also an area for growth as well. So let's change things up a little here. As we're thinking about emotions and what's going on in our head, as we're going through a change or someone is going through a change, what is going on mentally over time? How do our emotions change over time? Does that make sense? Yes, it does make perfect sense. Because as I said earlier, change is a process. Mm. So what may happen at the beginning of your perception of change, you may be reserved, okay? A person may be reserved. Mm -hmm. They can have these anxious, worrisome feelings mm. about change. But then some people, you know, we, we all react differently. So there would be people that will embrace the change much quicker than some other people. Then we have the issue of whether that change is self-imposed or it's forced. Because when we want to change, we either want to avoid pain or we want to come closer to a pleasure. So let's, for example, uh, say there is a person who wants to exercise, okay? They want to adopt an exercise regime. They want to really pay attention to it. But then that person can either, they will want to avoid pain because let's say if they have some underlying health issues. Yeah. So they know that exercise will be good for them. So they don't want to risk their health further. But then you will have a person who will want to adopt higher exercise regime because they want different physique yep. or they want to lose weight. You see, there are two differences. There are two different motivations. One is avoiding the pain. The other one is uh, going towards more external physical um, benefits of the exercise and so on and so forth. And as we're thinking about, you know, are you looking to avoid pain or are you looking to achieve a goal? Is there any difference from the emotions that you go through? Yes, there are differences in emotions. But what I would say for either ways, uh, for change to happen, uh, you have to be motivated. You have to be willing. Whether you go, you know, avoid pain or you go towards pleasure or wanting to gain, you have to be motivated. But as change is a process rather than one of activity at any given moment, then the change also has to be supported. And that's a very important point here. Whether we are talking about uh, an individual, uh, let's say our private lives, or this can be applied in the context of business or retail industry. As a matter of fact, the type of support, whether it is 
financial or psychological. Uh, well, you have a mentor or team of colleagues to give you support or, or you know, senior team is board is with you or there might be support from the community close to your business yep. or it's uh, technological support. Whatever the nature of support, it has to be sourced beforehand if the change is to be implemented successfully. Mm. You have to know what you're going to use, what resources you have in order to start and execute the change. So basically, you need to have internal consensus, okay? Uh, that's your your emotions, your beliefs, your or your mindset has to be on a more positive note. But if you think, if you feel that the proposed changes, again, whether they're self-imposed or external, lack support, then the change uh, management process as a whole becomes difficult. Uh, let's say, for example, there might be a clash between uh, two different departments in an organization, like uh, maybe marketing, advertising department, and financial team mm-hmm. that has to provide budget. So when it comes to implementing a new technology or any other new initiative or providing different maybe digital experiences for both uh, internally for the employees and externally for the consumers, these two departments may not look at the change in the same way. And again, that will be also dependent. A few factors play here a role, but it will also be dependent on everything that I mentioned before. Mm. But anyway, it pays off to be familiar with the different stages of change if you are to sustain the change and achieve the goal you um, you have in mind. So, for example, I mean, uh, as psychologists, we usually refer to uh, one particular very common model of change. There are a few other models, but uh, I'm just going to mention this common one. Mm. When we want to change a behavior, we use this model. And that's uh, it starts with pre-contemplation, contemplation, preparation, action, maintenance, and they can be relapsed or not at the end. Okay. Tell us more. Just guide us through what those uh, six stages look like, feel like. They're sort of different stages and they just uh, flow, you know, uh, from one stage into another. And usually people go through these stages gradually. Mm. But sometimes, for different reasons, some people can skip from the first stage immediately to the fourth stage action, for example. Right, okay. And I'm just going to give you an example, you know, uh, after I mentioned the, the, the main characteristic of these change stages. So, first of all, there are psychological strategies, uh, or in other words, defense mechanisms that happen uh, on an unconscious level that are brought into play to avoid or adjust to uncomfortable situation. And as I said, uh, change can be uncomfortable. So people will tend to use like denial or repression, or they they can rationalize, you know, while they're going through these stepping changes. Mm -hmm. So in the first stage, for example, people can get in denial. They don't recognize the problem they have. They might not recognize that their behavior is damaging. An example might be a person with addiction. Everybody else can notice that they do have a problem, but that person is in complete denial. Yep. They don't really see the problem. Then in the business context, not recognizing, for example, that your business needs to, let's say, interact consistently with your customers on social platforms. And lots of denial, as he said. 
Yes. Then the second stage is contemplation, when you start to balance the pros and cons, okay? Is it the loss or is it a gain? Mm -hmm. You start to make this calculation, but at the same time, you feel ambivalent. You have these conflicted emotions, so you may feel a little bit fearful and at the same time excited. These emotions can alternate. And you may be aware that the old ways of what you do, how you behave, your attitudes are being challenged, but you still don't have a completely clear picture as to what these ways will be replaced because when you change your behavior, or let's say to make it easier, when you have a habit and you want to change that habit, okay, you want to stop, Mm -hmm. you need to substitute it with something else. Yep. Something that is healthier, something that is more constructive, something that is more productive, because while you are executing that habit each and every day, okay, that time then, once the habit stops, has to be filled with something else. That's a really good point. So often when we're thinking about making a change, we almost try to go cold turkey on it, whether it's a personal change or a business change. But actually, that's completely the wrong thing to do, because like you say, It's a habit, it's almost in the subconscious, and there is nothing then for our brain to be concentrating on instead, so it wants to revert to type, right? Exactly, exactly. And that is applicable to every habit, no matter what that is. Yeah, interesting. Then we go through the third stage, preparation. And by the way, as we go through the stages, we are not really aware of it. Because usually we don't stop and think, oh, okay, this is my first stage. Oh, now I'm in the second stage. You may have some glimpse into it or be a little bit more aware if you really know the stages or if you are like me, I'm psychologist and, you know, I work with it. So I might be more aware when I go through my own changes. So do you go through this model and sort of mentally push your way through the model? as you are going through a a change yourself, personally, Jana? Do you know what? It's very useful to have an understanding of these stages Mm. because then you can find some answers to your questions or to your doubts. Yeah, interesting. For example, you know that the sixth stage might be relapse, okay? And then if you think that, okay, next time I'm going to go you know, more carefully through my stages of change, or I'm not going to skip a stage, or I'm going to be much more aware of the first stage, then you may expect to have better results, perhaps. Mm. So it helps in that sense. I mean, our mind is very inquiring. We are curious. Yeah. We want answers. And these answers have to satisfy our mental appetite. They have to make sense. And I think with the stages, you can make some sort of sense. So the third stage, this is the stage when you are almost uh, at the start of taking action, but you're still at this preparation level when you think of taking small steps. And you're experimenting and maybe you're taking these, you know, small steps. You're preparing for your real action. And if applied to a business, for example, you and your team 
if you all together adopt problem solving mindset mm-hmm. and you're coming up, you're brainstorming and you're coming with uh, different sorts of insights, um, answers and so on and so forth. You are in it together. You're solving the problem together. And then you're becoming more optimistic about the change because you're coming already with some answers. And then you go into the fourth stage, which is action stage. When you implement, you take the direct. Mm. And uh, your morale is higher, whether you are in a team or, you know, in your private life. And you support each other if you are, you know, in a team to bring that change. Or maybe you you uh, do implement changes, let's say, with, with your partner. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you know that you are both in that and you support each other. And if you're on your own, still, it doesn't matter. You at the fourth stage, you are taking direct action. If you were planning again, I'm going to say, and I'm going to use this example. Let's say you are preparing to exercise more. In the previous stages, maybe you were not thinking of exercise as something that, you know, you can do regularly or is helpful for your mental or physical health and so on and so forth. Then you didn't have your gym gear with you or appropriate trainers. Then what you do, you sort all these things out. And then finally, at the fourth stage, you execute the action. Mm-hmm. But then it comes the fifth stage, which is the maintenance. That's where you have to stick with the change. Many people easily make New Year's resolutions of all different sorts. Mm. Okay. And they start doing it. And then first month ends and they that's it. They stopped. Something is making them to not to maintain a new behavior. But for those who are really committed, okay, this is the stage where they stick to the changes made. They want to maintain their new behavior and they basically are aware they want to avoid the temptation to relapse, as I said earlier, by replacing old habits with more positive actions. Mm. That's what happens. Do you know what? What is interesting to me, though, is in the present situation, how the coronavirus basically has forced us to make changes Mm. and in a way to skip these steps. This is the uh, external force of change that uh, I mentioned earlier. It's not self-imposed change. That's fascinating. So I love this model, these six steps. So we've got pre-contemplation, contemplation, preparation, action, maintenance, and relapse. Yes. Is there a name for this model, Jana? Behavior change model, that's what we call it. Mm. So anytime you want to change a certain behavior, as I said, these are the uh, most common, most known stages of change. But then, you know, you can look around and see sometimes people just uh, sort of reframe or rename the different stages. But this is the the main one, the most common. And I think the sort of easier one to understand. Sure. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. And I just wanted to ask a quick question about the relapse piece as well. I mean, we see that when changes are applied, maybe it's a new system or a new piece of you know equipment that's being deployed out to stores or operations or warehouses, whatever. We see people start to relapse back and not use it, go back to the old ways of working. Yeah. What's going on in people's heads there? Is it is it all just about that habit thing or is it is there a I really want to make the change fail? What's what's going on? Do you know what? I really, really want to be able to see and to know what's going on in people's mind. <laughs> 
I am, I am a psychologist. And so many times, you know, when I meet a new person, the moment they hear that I am psychologist, they kind of take a step back. Oh, you're a psychologist. Okay. So uh, I better be careful, you know, what they say, because you're going to analyze me or... <laughs> But then it would be, uh, oh, fantastic. I would love to know what goes into mm. your mind, into the mind in the other people. But it, that's, that's not how it works. All I can say is that, unfortunately, relapses are common because we are not infallible as human beings. They can happen for various reasons. But the point to remember is that when they happen, they usually can bring negative emotions, people get disappointed, they're frustrated, then they may experience feelings of failure. But you need to remember that you just need to improve. Maybe you need to use different strategy. Maybe you need to, to use different tools. So it's not too much about the relapse as it is about sticking mm. to the change that you want to make. And again, it doesn't matter if that's in a private context, or let's say there is some organizational change going on um, in your company. Sure. You just need to go through, uh, through the steps. You need to have at all times in mind, basically, what's your purpose? Mm. What do you want to achieve? You know? And it sort of brings it back to that goal or, you know, avoiding the pain, I suppose. Exactly. Exactly. And then, you know, you will have more clear picture of your goal and most of all how you're going to feel when you achieve that mm. that's very important point to remember you need to when when you are thinking about the changes that you want as i said they have to be both on rational and emotional level at the same time you need to decide what's the purpose of change you need to know how you're going to benefit from the change and how others around you are going to benefit from the change. And then you need to feel it. How are you going to feel about it? Okay. And I suppose from there, if you appreciate how people are feeling, you can begin to think about how you're going to mitigate the impact of those negative emotions on an individual level across an organization. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. That's, that's uh, how it goes. When we are at the negative emotions and you said um, how you can mitigate and uh, all that. So, uh, I mean, first of all, all emotions are useful, no matter if they're positive or negative, because they're telling us something, because they're our mental roadmap to our goals, the destinations that we want to arrive at. As such, we experience emotions both on a psychological and biological level, and that brings uh, different responses that affect our minds, our bodies, our motivation, our decisions. So what we need to think of is how to harness the energy of emotions in productive ways. Mm. Instead of, let's say, if you have these negative emotions, then you can get stuck there and then you can ruminate mm. on the negativity. Instead of using that negative emotion to tell you what's wrong and where you can improve, we all want to have our questions answered mm -hmm. by someone. We are, we are trying to find answers. And especially in the business context, in the retail context, if you want. With these operational changes, changes on different levels, people want to know. The question is, what's in it for me? Mm. And if this change is uh, going to impact me, then you need to explain to me how it will help or improve my life. 
And same uh, when you try to make certain changes related to your customers. Yeah. So, I mean, life is life. We know that um, you propose a change. Some people will never embrace it. Just like some are always the last at adopting or implementing changes. There are some people or companies embrace new technology, you know, for example, voice recognition or whatever else. The resistance often may stem from, uh, you know, from the fear. Right. Fear of the change in the work itself or change in the process of completing the work or, I mean, of the possibility that the change may result in, in the loss of, of their job. Yeah. So if you have many automated services in your company, then maybe a human or I would say human touch is not necessary anymore. So, of course, you're going to fear the change. Mm. Of course, you want to keep your job. So, whether it's in retail or any other industry, the trick is to demonstrate the benefits to your employees, the benefits to the mm. staff, uh, the benefits to the customer, the business, and frankly, the society as a whole. Yeah. You know, if you want your changes to, to be accepted and supported. Absolutely. And, you know, in the world that we live in today, where we've got all of these new technology solutions, a lot of them AI powered or, or controlled, there's going to be a lot of change going through people's heads where mm. actually you used to be responsible for making a decision about whatever. And now a machine is going to learn how to do that and it's going to do it for you. Yes. That's going to cause a whole riot of of. Yeah, I could imagine quite negative emotions in in people's heads. Just as we begin to close out this, I just want to explore that. If we are the the leaders of change, how can we take a bit of a a temperature check, so to speak? How can we understand how people are feeling, where they are through the six stages of change? Mm -hmm. What can we do to monitor Okay, so, uh, for example, if you want to monitor or, as you say, to take a temperature check on the emotions of your employees or people at your organization, Mm -hmm. then it is very important to understand and listen to these people, okay? Mm. Because you want to implement changes. They will experience confusion, maybe anxiety, maybe doubt. Uh, As well, at the same time, they may have enthusiasm for the change. So you need to make it safe for people to, in a way, to express their emotions, mm. okay? So when you acknowledge their emotions and when you treat them with respect, so they're more likely to engage with the change. Uh, when you communicate clearly your change vision, you want to create this enthusiasm by triggering positive emotions. So you need to make sure that these emotions of excitement, confidence, there has to be team spirit, there has to be this level of high collaboration. And at the same time, okay, it's not just you who is giving them end result of the change or enforcing the change without really talking to them too. Mm. So we also apply this point to the stages of change. So when it comes, for example, to the the second stage, which is contemplation, Mm -hmm. okay? That's the stage when you're balancing pros and cons. You decide, you know, what you gain, what you lose, uh, things like that. Mm -hmm. So this is the point when you can engage the staff in problem solving because they may have deeper insight than you as a leader into the whatever technical, logistical, operational challenges that lay ahead. 
So that they will help you to avoid potential operational risks. Mm. And different groups in the organization may be reacting to change very differently. So you need to have check on these different emotional needs. They have to be recognized and addressed according to the situation. You need simply to understand the diverse perspectives if you want to move forward together. But then if you want to take temperature check on the emotions of your customers, mm-hmm. well, in that case, traditional metrics are certainly not enough because they don't tap into the emotions that are fueling consumers' desires to engage with, with your brand or, or the product that you're trying to sell. Yeah, They might be about, I don't know, anything, let's say certain demographics, mm. but that doesn't tell you how people feel, you know? So any, uh, I would say, contemporary, modern retailer and brand they will use new technologies, they will use new strategies, innovations in order to connect emotionally with their consumers. Social media is an excellent way of checking the temperature, mm-hmm. uh, especially now with the COVID-19, yep. the use of social media platforms, I mean, come on, has gone through the roof. Yeah, very much so. There are many ways to measure customer sentiment so that you can pinpoint basically a negative emotion And it is precisely the negative emotions that can disengage your customer. So you can quickly intervene when you know that, intervene at a specific point of uh, the customer journey. And then you can quickly offer maybe some kind of, I don't know, surprise. You can delight them uh, in some way to immediately change their mood, to change from negative to more positive emotions. That's really important. So actually, if you're detecting the customer's emotions, then you can respond and take action accordingly, rather than waiting for them to ultimately vote with their feet and go elsewhere. Yes. Or just make, you know, assumptions or adopt these cognitive biases, which are like future forecasting or mind reading. Uh, fortune telling, you know. <laughs> so you, you need to be aware. <laughs> it is exactly like that. Exactly, exactly. And I think all that together will give you more clear picture uh, where on the spectrum of emotions your customer is. That's absolutely incredibly important to know right at this moment in time. Shonda, this has been a lot of fun. We've really dived into lots of different elements and I think it's going to be absolutely important, essential, critical as we continue and more and more changes come through both from a a coronavirus reaction perspective as well as the advancement of technology and how that's going to roll out and and change things as well. Exactly. Thank you so much for, for sharing all of your knowledge and also arming us with a few tips and tactics that we can go out and make change more successful, help people through that emotional journey, all those different stages. That's really useful. Thank you so much. One final quick question, Jana. How can people get in touch if they want to continue the conversation? They can contact me directly on my LinkedIn or Twitter, or they can just go to www.retail-reflections.co.uk. Brilliant. Thank you for inviting me to your great podcast. It's been my pleasure. Well, it's been a lot of fun. And people should also check out the What's In Store podcast as well. Oh, that's too. I forgot that we have that. <laughs> Your podcast that you uh, you host with 
with Andrew as well, right? <laughs> I was concentrating exclusively on your podcast. I forgot that <laughs> I have, we have podcasts too. There are, there are many, many podcasts and I'm a firm believer that no one is a single podcast listener. <laughs> yes, you're right. You're right. Yes, yes. They can also listen to our podcast too. So thank you so much, Jana. Thank you very much, Oliver. So there we go. That was my conversation with Jana Busby there. Do remember, head over to the show notes page, obandco.uk slash 85. Oh, and if you enjoyed this episode, then do go and check out episode 57 and 58, which were my conversations with Steph Tranter, looking at how you can build up emotional resilience, particularly if you are responsible for leading change and transformation. Great episodes. Again, lots of actionable advice in there just for you. Episode 57 and 58. And you must remember to register for your free ticket to Retail Transformation Live. And hey, tell a friend. I'm sure they will be super thankful and will look forward to joining in all of the conversation and the keynotes and the insight. And oh, there's just a ton of amazing stuff going on. Retailtransformation.live. Register now. Absolutely free. 9th of July. I will absolutely look forward to seeing you there. So we're going to wrap this one up right here. I'll look forward to joining you on the next episode of the Retail Transformation Show coming at you very, very soon. Bye for now.